This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. Technically, this is maybe the shortest sermon that I've ever put together. And uh, I, I think I've a little deja vu there that I've said this before. And then I, what happens is I relax as I know it's a shorter sermon and then it turns into a little longer uh, than normal. So I, I actually do not have an agenda to keep something short, short. It's just that uh, I feel like this message is just sort of says it. It's just, there it is. Nothing needs to be added. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. We'll see how well Eric uh, does this. This could be, end up being the shortest uh, message Eric has ever given on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be amazing if you were here for that? And you could always just sort of mark that day. I was there. I, I was there. <clears throat> At the cave's mouth. So uh, I don't know if you can think of a, a story in Scripture, other than the resurrection of Christ, where we are going to be at a cave's mouth. And there's actually a few in Scripture that could fit uh, this billing. Uh, This story is the one about Lazarus. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take us through John 11, and I'm going to finish after Lazarus rises from the dead. It's interesting, my, my... uh, message on, on Friday in Daily Thunder was actually about what happens after Lazarus rises, that the chief uh, priests are plotting to kill Jesus because it's such a massive event uh, that is going to shake uh, all of the region. But I would like us, as we sort of navigate through this, to recognize that we oftentimes are brought to the cave's mouth, just like Mary and Martha. And that for whatever reason, we in our human sense feel like this isn't where we should be. That God should have addressed this issue long before. And yet something is prolonged. There is something that hasn't been done the way we think it should have. If we were going to be in God's position, we would have addressed this a lot sooner. And so to get to the cave's mouth means that multiple things have happened that we probably didn't check off on that we didn't endorse. And how we walk through that process is of great importance. Because when we're young in our faith, we have a tendency to look at that process that we're going to see Mary and Martha walk through as a negative process. We do, we interpret it that way. That we're expecting God to answer instantaneously. I mean, what else would we come to as a conclusion? I've just encountered Jesus. I've seen his brilliance, his power, his ability, his might, his desire to save me. So I expect that if I have a need, he will come in and intervene with instant help. And I'm not going to say you're wrong in your young faith. It's just that you're not fully correct in the ways of God. That God wants to mature us in our faith, and a mature faith can look at this story in John chapter 11 and actually smile and say, Lord, your ways are higher than ours. Lord, I love your ways. Because we try and bring our ways to the table. 
It's like our golden calf version of God's ways. It's like, here's God, and then we have our golden calf version of the way God should work in our lives. Like, yeah, like this, God, I have a great idea for you. If you were to do it this way, oh, you would get glory. You would get glory. Have you ever had that, that thought of how God could get glory out of your life and you start presenting options for him? And almost always, if not 100% of the time, I don't know because I haven't kept statistics on it, but that my presentations to God have some great ideas, he just always moves off the table. It's like, well, that was, God, that was a good idea there. And you could have gotten a lot of glory out of that. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And it's not just a little higher than our ways, so much higher that we can't fathom them. And so the best thing to do as you mature in your faith is to rest and to say, God, I trust you because your ways are higher than my ways. So a famous, uh, possibly my, I I don't want to say my favorite scripture, but in in the category of humorous scriptures, this is the scripture I love to quote. And that is Martha. It's a quote of Martha's. But Lord, he stinketh. And that is at the cave's mouth, ironically, in the King James. You have to use the King James to get that ith on the end. I, I did have an initial title for this message, but it felt for the seriousness of this message, I felt it was a little off. It was Stink, Stank, Stunk uh, was the name of this one. <laughs> I, I passed on it, but you guys can at least cherish that I was thinking about it. So what I'd like to do is just read through John 11. I'm going to try and restrain from commentary as I read through it. And I don't know if you know how hard that is for me to do, but I'm going to try. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, He whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. By the way, there was a gap in between these. That's verse 7, and then I'm going to go to verse 17, where Jesus is going to be in a discussion with his disciples about walking in the day or in the, in the night, and they're confused, and he's finally going to come out bluntly and say, Lazarus is dead. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. 
And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there was a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So there is a process that I just want to walk us through. I sort of want to take us on Mary and Martha's journey. And I want us to personalize this because the value of this scripture is not just found in seeing the power of God to raise a dead man to life. It's the application in our lives of the fact that we are ones that Jesus loves and that he allows us to be brought to extremity points, but not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. And that's a really hard thing for us to digest. Because God, if you loved me, you would handle this differently. God, if, if you really loved me, I, I feel like I shouldn't be going through this right now. And that is like when I could say a classic quotation of modern American Christianity right there where we don't understand and interpret properly our challenges through the lens of the heavenly mind. So we don't understand the love of God being expressed to us. We miss it. We stumble over it, in fact. There are three characters in Scripture. We know that Jesus loved others in addition to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. However, it's a rare thing for us to hear a declaration of a special friendship. And Jesus had a special friendship with these three to the point where it's notated in Scripture. We know that John, the apostle, is the disciple that Jesus loved. And that's a special notation, right? It doesn't mean he didn't love his other disciples, but it's like there's an extra affection or an extra connection there. And we know what that's like. In our life, there are people that have a special connection with us that we have a special affinity for. We spend more time with them. And this seems to be a, a relationship that Jesus has. And every single person in Scripture that comes to Jesus that we know in Scripture 
and they need healing, what does Jesus do? He heals them. Now we have this special relationship, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. You could put your name in that list. You know, we're in that special inner circle with Jesus, and so you would think we would get the extra special attention, and we do, but the extra special attention doesn't always translate the way that we think it should. Extra special attention would mean maybe if Jesus heals instantly, ours is like extra instantly. We wouldn't expect what's going to happen in this story. Let me just put it that way. And actually, that's what I want you to understand in your soul, that the love of God expressed to us is not in making our life easier. We've come to him and we say, Lord, I want to be useful to you. And he says, okay, I would like to move in then. And I would like to work my kingdom pattern in and through your life. And so you could look at a father loving his son and you say, okay, I see what that's going to look like. And then you watch the father love Jesus and they have a special relationship. And how does the father lead Jesus? He leads him through an extra special suffering, an extra special givenness, an extra special request. Father, could you pass this cup from me? And the father doesn't seem to answer yes. And Jesus says, not my will, but thine. That special relationship is what we're being brought into. And it brings us to a cave's mouth. It brings us to circumstances that our natural man would crave never to be. And yet it's in and through what is going to happen at that cave's mouth that the world is going to notate in and through our lives the glory of the Almighty. So I'm going to call this the personal groan. A prayer that only God could understand and only God could respond to. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer like that come out of you where it's not really that intelligible of a prayer. It's a wheeze. It's a groan. It's a strain. It's a... It's a plea, Lord. And you don't even finish the sentence, Lord. Because you're feeling a pain, something that you really want to have pulled out, a thorn maybe, that's in your flesh. You're like, Lord, please. And if someone was listening in, they would say, I'm not sure how I would answer that prayer because you didn't actually say much. Listen to this prayer. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Uh, that's not very descriptive. Who is the one I love? And yet, for some reason, Jesus knows exactly what this means. He knows precisely what is going on. And in our imperfect praying, in our groaning state, when we are at that place of extremity, we're something that we need even. Guess what Martha needs Lazarus? From what we can gather, is it's, it's, some of it's just educated guessing, but that very likely their parents are gone. And Lazarus would be the, the male character that is caring for his sisters. And in this culture, that is actually part of the process, is that you really need a man in the storyline. And in this storyline, that man that they depend on, whom Jesus loves, is sick. And his sickness is pretty severe, guys. And I'm going to say, I know that Jesus knows that. And everything Jesus does, this is an important thing for us to notate too, is there is tremendous emotion in Christ in this storyline too. And he only does that which the Father is asking him to do. And if we were to look at this just through the lens of Jesus, this is one challenging thing for him to walk through. 
Because instead of going and just healing Lazarus, he is being given an assignment by the Father to stay where he is. And could you imagine how hard that would be? Because he's going to know how it can be interpreted. Could not the one who could heal the blind have made this man whole? He knows exactly what's going on in the thoughts of men. He knows what's going to be going on in the hearts and minds of Mary and Martha. And he wishes he could pull that out. But at the same time, he is going to stay where he is because he loves them. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, you may not have ever prayed that exact prayer, but you've probably prayed something in that vein. Hey, Lord, I I just want to set something before you that maybe you've missed because I haven't seen you sort of move uh, to help with this, but remember me? Remember me? I have some challenges right now, and I'm just trying to live for you, trying to give my life to you in every regard, and I feel like you're not quite seeing it, but I just want to present that to you afresh because somehow you're out of town, and the guy you love is right here, and he sort of needs you to intervene. The heavenly reply. Now, we don't know. I've always envisioned this as being a face-to-face interaction where Jesus comes and sort of feels the forehead of Lazarus and goes, yeah, this sickness won't end in death. Technically, my best description of it, since it's going to say that he's going to stay where he is, that means he's not where they are. So I picture this letter being written or some courier bringing a message from Mary and Martha to Jesus where he's at. Jesus receives this petition, and then he responds possibly with a courier of his own, or maybe it's a written note. Not exactly sure how the cultural way of communication would have gone down in that time, but one of the ways that I sort of want us to look at it is as a written word, and the reason for that is is because that's how we receive it. We receive that written word from from Jesus, just like they do. And so I want you to imagine it being sort of the note. And it's a written note that, to be quite frank, doesn't appear to quite solve the problem at hand. You ever had that type of response from God? It's like, uh, Eric, I love you. Well, thank you for that encouragement, Lord. But, you know, if you really loved me, you would deal with my problem. Eric, I love you is how it comes. And this is the note that they receive. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, okay, because he's, he's dying. And he died. Could you imagine you're holding this note, you're reading it over and over again, and what you see is that this sickness will not end in death, and you're just sort of saying, well, Jesus, there's... If you were doing it my way, it wouldn't look like this right now. And there's an agony in this process. The profound reason for the odd reply. It actually says in scripture why he replied this way, which is extra, I could say, amazing, because this isn't what we're expecting. What would be the most loving thing, guys? In our deduction, the most loving thing would be the healing of Lazarus. And yet, we actually know in the bigger picture in looking at this story, God's answering that question. The most loving thing is he is going to stay where he is and he's going to allow Lazarus to experience physical death. How could that be loving? 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's what it says right after this, this line. So, as a result of that great love that he has for Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Uh, so, um, Jesus, you, you we're sort of needing you over here. And yet, there he is staying where he was. The if you had been there hurdle. Have you ever sort of recast a circumstance and said, well, if God had just come through and done this, then I wouldn't have had this challenge. Well, obviously, this is not new to us because Mary and Martha are going to have the exact same hurdle sitting in front of them. In fact, we're going to hear the, the quotation twice. John eleven twenty one. 21, when Martha says it, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then John eleven thirty two. 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can tell that they're talking amongst themselves. If he had just been here, he wouldn't have died. And this is the meditation of their soul. This sickness will not end in death. Have you ever had it where you look at the word of God and you're like, okay, but that means this to me. And God's saying, well, there's a deeper understanding of how I work. That sometimes I allow what appears to be death to come to something so that I can bring life. Think about Abraham and Isaac. That you're going to see an apparent death being brought. Where Abraham has to come to the point where he relinquishes Isaac. He can't just pack up his bag and say, son, we're going to go on a three-day journey. And right when he takes the first step, God says, that's all I needed to see. He actually has to go through three days. Three days of what we're going to call agony. Of working through in his inner man that obedience, that trust, that faith. And in the New Testament, we're going to realize that Abraham's going to come to the conclusion that if this is the promised seed, that means God can resurrect him from the dead. And there'd been no evidence of that in all of history. But he's going to come to that conclusion. The same process he's going to work through in us. But are we willing to walk all the way to the cave's mouth and raise our knife? And that's a challenge that most of us actually shrink back from. God, I want to follow you, but I want it on my terms. God, I want to follow you, but I want an easy rendition. Could I have the American version of Christianity? That's what I would prefer. I don't know that I really want the real version. Because the real version actually is more like this, where you have to trust even when that which is in front of you and that which seems to be your idea of the fulfillment of the word of God seems to contradict. And you could stare at Lazarus dying, being wrapped in grave cloths, putting in, being put in a cave and say, but my God is promised. Whew. That's a version of Christianity we really do not prefer to go after. God, I just want you to heal him. I don't like any of this Lazarus stuff in my life. Those are for special people like Mary and Martha, not for us. We're Americans. We don't, we're not built for that sort of challenge. Martha's even now faith. When you go through these challenges and you're brought to points where you don't quite know how God can still fulfill and show that his nature is true, it's like the enemy has his argument coming in full volume. It's like, it looks like your God failed you. It looks like your God totally ignored you. I mean, your God maybe loves everyone else, but it obviously, does, obviously it doesn't love you. And you got a lot of noise going on there. And this is where the even 
Now faith kicks in. Listen to Martha. John eleven twenty two. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I don't understand all this, God. But even now I know that you are the son of God and you have the power and God will give you what you ask. So even now, even though you don't have an explanation for all that you've walked through, are you willing to rise up and say, even now? The faith of Martha. Could you imagine just walking through this? What, she, what she's saying underneath the surface, I have watched Lazarus suffer. I went to the well and brought in cold water. I cooled his burning brow. I was at his side all night. I never removed my clothes. My heart was tormented with anguish. I felt as though I was about to die myself. Yet, Lord, I believe even now that you can help me. I'm not sure why I've gone through all of this, but even now I know that you can help me. Even now, when it appears implausible, impossible, incomprehensible. You know, there was a time in the storyline where it actually seemed like God could do it, especially you had it all figured out for him. Okay, you could do this, then you know, I do this, and then I rejoice, and I tell everyone at church on Sunday morning what you did, and everyone's built up in their faith. However, we're past that, Lord. We're past that. It's starting to stink. And I don't know how we're gonna get out of this one. You know, if someone dies, there's gonna be, you know, amongst us all, I bet all of us believe that God could raise the dead. Like, theoretically, theologically speaking, we believe he could raise the dead. However, there's only gonna be a small fraction in here that wanna be a part of the prayer service to see if that would happen. But once, I mean, you could say how much time passes. You know, what, what's it? Uh, an hour? How many of you believe he could still raise uh, someone to the dead from the dead after an hour? Because that's sort of weird. If someone's been dead an hour, I mean, they're officially dead, right? Of course, they were officially dead in the beginning. But you know what I mean by that? It's like something's already transacted. You know, some angel has come down and taken him by the hand, and now they're headed up some walkway. I mean, you can't just, like, call him back now, right? So I don't know. We all have sort of an expiration point. We're like, yeah, I think we need to accept this. Uh, so one day, this has been four days. Okay, that's way past every expiration point that we could come up with in our minds, even for what we could call grand, triumphant, mountain-moving faith. It's like, God, we're, we're, we're past that point, and it looks like his word is lacking credibility. This sickness will not end in death. That's why you see Martha doing her little dance about resurrection, you know, in the end. She can't figure it out at this point. So I want you to think of your implausible, impossible, incomprehensible. Because those exist in our life. I'm usually toting around a few of them. At any given point in time, you could give this message to me. I'm like, oh, thank you for that reminder. That's actually a very important reminder for me. Sometimes it's relational. There's someone in your life that just seems irredeemable. It's like they've made choices that have only compacted their sin further, and it seems like they're probably beyond reaching. It's ironic because we're usually related to those people. If you're related to someone and they're having that problem, do you know that I have great faith for them? It's like, oh, God could reach them. But if I'm related to them, oh, that's, that's really hard. For some reason, the people you're related to, it seems harder for God to somehow reach them. 
And so that's oftentimes, just like this is for Martha, this is a relationship. This is close to her heart. And for whatever reason, it feels more difficult for her as a result. So I don't know what your situation is that may be leading you to a cave's mouth. But along that journey to the cave's mouth, I'm not sure how well you're doing. I want to invite you into the first step is the even now faith. Is your God not faithful? Is he not true? He has never once failed, ever, in all of history, and you're not his practice subject for that. Where he's going to have his first failure, he's going to try it on you and just see what it's like. You are not going to be his first failure. He is in total control. And even now, he is still the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. He is able to keep his word. And so even now, he can do it. Even now, when prayer appears to have failed, when God seems to have not been listening, when God has chosen to go silent amidst my great agonies, even now, when I can't even comprehend a solution, have you ever gotten to that place? Usually, as long as I still have a potential solution, I sort of relax a little. It's like, well, this could at least happen. Like, Jesus could still show up, still heal him. And then when you get past that, it's like, he stinketh. When something begins to stinketh in your life, it's interesting how even now faith becomes that much harder. Because we are very naturally driven by our circumstances down here. I mean, you can believe that God could pick up a mountain and throw it into the midst of the sea, but the like, your thought of it likely happening is very, very low. Our God can do things, but will he? It's hard to go from, yes, he could theoretically, theologically do something to the fact that he will do it. So when I can't even comprehend a solution, when I can't see through the fog, when I can't fathom a way out of the conundrum, John eleven twenty two through 27. But even now, says Martha, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. You can see Martha in that fog. It's sort of like if Jesus said to me, yes, I will provide for your need. Yeah, I know. I'll be in heaven one day and I'll have everything. Right? But we're way behind. Lord, it's, you know, he stinketh. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. The but Lord he stinketh moment. God has brought us all the way to this moment. I know it sounds strange to think that God wants to bring us to a point where we don't have the solution. He wants to trim Gideon's army down to the point where it's pretty obvious that Gideon's army could never beat the Midianites. So that when they do, God gets the credit. You see, God gets greater glory when we are trimmed like Gideon, when we walk to the cave's mouth instead of have a quick, instantaneous solution to our problem. That's not the path we were wanting to walk. And yet, because he loves us, he walks us down this path. So the, but Lord, he stinketh moment. I had to fix that in some, some other way. I really like that phrase. 
John eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Isn't it funny? Even now you could do it. Hey, but, uh, but he stinks. Yeah, this is way past the point. Isn't it interesting that our theoretical or theological faith, as I'm saying, when it actually gets to rolling away the stone, we, we have a tough time with it because we're beyond that point of reasonable. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Oh, I, I, technically, it's not a quote from Charles Spurgeon, another subtitle. Cave faith. It can thin out and grow weak need at the cave's mouth. So when we get to that point where God is just ready to prove himself, we oftentimes will get thin in our faith. I, there's no reason to do that, right? But it's a human propensity. And this is the quote from Charles Spurgeon. Christ did not take Martha at her worst, but at her best. Isn't that a great statement? In other words, at her worst, she's like, but Lord, he stinketh. See, I had to fit that in one more time. And yet, she's also right before that said, Lord, I believe you can heal him. Lord, if you would just be here, he would have been whole. She has faith that he's the Messiah. She's just declared that. But she's feeling thin in regards to the natural elements here. I mean, you have a guy who's been in the grave, wrapped in grave cloths for four days. Now, I know it's easy for you to believe that Lazarus is going to come forth. Isn't it funny? You, you know the story. Yeah, he's going to come forth. If we were betting people, I'm like, okay, tell me, you know, I want you to risk all you have. Is Lazarus in this storyline going to rise again, or is he going to stay in that tomb? And I bet every one of you would risk every dollar you have on the fact that Lazarus is going to rise again in this storyline. And I would say, that's sort of cheating, though, because you already know the end of the story. How come you don't know the end of your story, then? Same story, guys. Why is it that you have such confidence in this story, but don't have confidence in your story? Because the whole reason you were given this story is so that you would have confidence at the cave's mouth. And God is showing you, Martha, so that you can see the Martha in you and you can rise up and say, even now, I know. It doesn't matter if it's been four days. This is the Lord of glory. Did not he say that if I would believe, he would show his glory. Did he not promise? So Christ did not take Martha at her worst, but at her best. When our Lord says, according to your faith, be it unto you, he does not mean according to your faith in its ebb, but according to your faith in its flood. He reads the thermometer at its highest point, not at its lowest, not even taking the mean temperature of our trust. He gives us credit for our quickest pace, not counting our slowest, nor seeking to discover our average speed in this matter of faith. Christ did for Martha all she could have asked or believed. Her brother did rise again, and he was restored to her and to his friends. In thy case too, O thou trembling, timorous believer, the Lord Jesus will take thee at thy best, and he will do for thee great things, seeing that thou desirest to believe greatly, and that thy prayer is, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The did he not say moment. There's a lot happening in this story, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of key crux moments that match our life. The did he not say moment. This is possibly the most important thing to me in this whole process, is this meditation. So remember, she's just said, you know, hey, he's been there four days, there's a stench. And then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you 
that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not say? What a great statement. Do you not know what I have promised? Did I not say, but listen to what this phrase is. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So as you face that cave's mouth and the improbability, the incomprehensible nature of the challenge, what does Jesus say to you? It's so gentle, too. Did I not say? And you can stick your name in there. Did I not say Martha? Did I not say Eric? That if you would believe right now, you would see the glory of God. And so I don't know what cave mouth you may be standing in front of. If it's a lost soul, if it's a lost situation, if it's you know, an improbable uh, occurrence, and you're backed up. You have a circumstance that seems just so far beyond uh, your ability to, to get through or see through. Remember, he has spoken. It doesn't matter what has transpired between the giving of the promise and this cave moment. So Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. I don't care. Some of the things he said to us are 2,000 years old. It doesn't matter how much time has passed since the giving of the promise and this cave moment in your life. He didn't change between here and there. His purposes are identical now as they were then. The fact that Lazarus has been in the grave for four days doesn't impact Jesus and Jesus' plan in the least. The fact that things have gotten impossible doesn't cause Jesus to grow pale, white, and frail and start trembling and go, oh God, I have no idea what to do now. Because who's the one that brought it to this point? He did. He's in total control. Now again, we wouldn't have ever brought it to this point. This isn't the way we work as humans. We want things done quick. On our timetable, according to our preferences, according to our comforts, there's a way that seems right unto a man, and it leads to death. But there's a way that is right unto God, and it leads to life. Let this be an example of that very truth. Did he not say? God has not gone silent on your circumstance, even though you're accusing him of being silent. Did he not say? If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Your job in this whole drama is to believe him, is to trust him, even when Lazarus dies, or your plans seem to die, or something that you have put a lot of stock in seems to fade. It's like, God, you've, you've been leading me so far, now I feel like I'm at a cliff's edge. And then he says, keep walking? How am I supposed to keep walking? This is a cliff's edge. God, I'm at my extremity. I don't have a solution here. He says, but I do. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And God doesn't seem to mind this tension that we mind. We don't want this tension, guys. But God seems to author it so that he can express his glory through us, to us, and he can show us his love, his personal care over us. Lazarus, as he rises in this story, because I know you guys as betting people bet on Lazarus, and you're right, yay! He is going to rise again, and he is going to become one of the most forceful characters for the gospel in his generation. 
He is a living testimony of God's faithfulness, God's love and care, the one he loves, Lazarus. He didn't stop loving him in the fact that he allowed him to walk through that. The father didn't stop loving Jesus because he allowed him to face the cross. It is an expression of the highest level of trust and love to allow those closest to you to face difficulties and know that they will trust you the entire way. Did he not say? So if he did say, what is our challenge? Even now, believe. That's what we're commissioned to do. Even now, believe. So I know you may be at a cave's mouth, but the statement from the word of God to us today would be, even now, I know, it seems improbable, it seems impossible, but even now, believe. Because even now, he will cause your Lazarus to come forth. I can't define your Lazarus. I don't know the situation you may be facing. There are so many options for what that could be in our life. I, I face this in so many different angles and directions in my life, and it's a very real challenge. The messages I give, I don't know if you've ever figured out that they have a lot to do with what I'm walking through in my own life. And so for me, I have faced some rather significant cave moments at the mouth of the cave. And I usually am like, God, not again. I don't want to go back to another cave mouth. Lord, that's where you've done all your work in my life. The greatest moments of my life have always happened there. The greatest testimonies in my life, they always happen there. Lord, take me there. If that's where you're leading me again, I say thank you for that. Thank you. Your ways are higher than mine, and I'm not going to try and nitpick your ways and try and contort your ways. I submit to your ways because they're good. John eleven forty three through 44. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Is he not faithful? Is he not true? Is this not your story? Has it not always been your story? So why is God going to change his storyline now? He's not a God of confusion. Just because he doesn't follow your playbook does not mean he's going off and changing his. His playbook has always been the same. Trust me, even when you walk through darkness. Trust me, even when it appears I'm silent. Trust me, even if it seems like we're walking in the opposite direction right now than where you thought we were gonna go. Trust me, because I am faithful and true. Did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? The rule of thumb in the kingdom of heaven. The greater the number of days in the cave, the greater the impact on you and on others when he strides out. You see, to the degree that you are trustworthy in the kingdom of heaven, he might add a day to the cave. It's like, for some of you, it might have been 10 minutes in the cave and that nearly crushed you. But he might be trying to graduate you up to a a day in the cave, where Lazarus is a whole day in the cave. But when you're up to four, boy, he really loves you. What a special trust that God would entrust you with such a picture. I mean, this story makes it into the Bible. Wow, what an honor to those he loves. 
that he would love them in such a way as to include them in his storyline, to reveal the kingdom of heaven and the pattern of heaven in and through them. So we'll finish with this scripture. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have a plan. His plan is exceedingly abundantly beyond it. Which one do you want? I know, it's funny. As a human, you're like, could I still have my plan? You have to submit your plan. You have to say, God, my plan stinks compared to yours. That's good faith right there. Lord, I don't know why I'm pressing this plan. I don't know why I'm trying to convert you to my plan. You've never been converted to one of my plans in the past. I'm not sure why I'm pressing heavily today. Your plan is the one I submit to. Whatever it is, no matter where it takes me, no matter the challenges I need to walk through, I say yes to your plan right now, even before you start on my next Lazarus adventure. My answer is yes. If you want to take me to the cave's mouth, you take me to the cave's mouth. If you want it to be five days instead of four, my answer is yes. My humanity barks, argues, wrestles, but my spirit man trusts and believes that your ways are higher, better. They are the best for my life and for this dying world. I choose my God's ways. Embrace the cave's mouth in your life. That's a hard thing to do. But I'm going to give you the exhortation today to do exactly that. To say, Lord, I thank you for bringing me to the cave's mouth. Instead of making this easier, you could have done this. You know, Lord, if you had been there, this would have. Yeah, we've all said it. Famous quote. I don't want American Christianity. I want the true version, guys. And I know you do too. We want the real thing, the gritty, real thing that has changed the world throughout history. Lord, we want it. He says, are you willing to come to the cave's mouth then? Because I want to do some wonders in this world. I want to show my glory, but I need Mary's and Martha's. I need Mary's and Martha's to work through, that trust me. And they know that this is a working of my love. Father, we submit, we say yes. Yeah, our humanity is trembling as we do. But Lord, we trust that your ways are higher, are better. Your ways are perfect. So Lord, give us the grace to have faith even now for our Lazarus situations. We ask this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.